Hello, everyone. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 41, where I am sitting down chatting with Master Sergeant Jason Miller of the United States Army. So folks, grab your favorite cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and listen in to the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling, and I have the pleasure and the honor to welcome in Army veteran, actually currently serving in the Army, soon to be retired, Jason Miller. Uh, he is coming to us from North Carolina. Yep, that's right. Okay, <laughs> I thought I had it wrong there for a second. Nope. Oh, Jason is a 20-year active duty soldier, and he's been deployed four times to different combat zones, and he has spent one year in the Sinai Peninsula. He has been married for over 23 years, and he has one child heading off to college in the fall. He lives with PTSD and at times depression and anxiety, but he's overcome the deepest and darkest moments that have included suicidal thoughts. So, Jason, thank you so much for being with me today on Let Fear Bounce. I've really been looking forward to this time to chat with you. You're welcome, and and thank you for for having me and giving me this opportunity to, to share parts of my story. Now, I'm sure we were talking a little bit before I hit record You've got, you know, 20 years in the Army, active duty, and you said that you're soon to be retired in 21 days. Yeehaw! That is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank I'm you sure so much. I'm sure that's very exciting. Yeah, that's just we wonderful. So congratulations on that first Thank of you. All. Thank you. But you said, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking off mic that you had joined the Army in July of 2001. Yep. And then what it let's let's remind folks, shall we? What happened shortly after July in 2001? Yeah, 9-11 happened. The attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City. So the world changed and flipped upside down in a heartbeat. So you joined in peacetime. Yep. And several weeks later, bam. There there you were. Here we are in war. Yep. So what was your initial reaction to that? Having, I mean, you're a new recruit at that time. Yeah. So my initial reaction, a couple things was, um, oh my God, you know, this right. is crazy. And then the second reaction was, this is why I joined. I joined because I'm able to do this. I want to do this and send me where you need to send me and let's do this. So prior to you joining... Is this something you had thought about? You you know thought about you. Know, I want to. I want to. I'm going to join the military. I want to be in the military. I have. Think I have a heart for that. I think I have a passion for that. Is that something that had been in your mind prior? Absolutely. So I really I grew up um, always wanting to be in the military and wanting to serve. You know, so a couple different tracks. I I wanted to go to a service academy um, out of high school, and um, I didn't quite get make the SAT score to head over to the Air Force Academy. Um, which was okay. So I ended up going to Kings Point, the Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, got got hurt anyway, left there, went to a regular school, ended up being a high school English teacher and coach for a couple of years. And at that point, um, i had always had it in me that I wanted to serve. Definitely. So two, two things guided me in that. And it was, if I'm able to, I want to be a part of defending our country, right? Defending mm -hmm. our way of life. But the second part that always stood out to me too was, um, sometimes we, as the American military, you know, we get sent to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. 
Um, and I was okay with that. Like as a humanist, I like mm -hmm. if, Hey, I'm ready to take on the big bully because other people, you know, need my, our help. So, you know, anyway, as I was, um, uh, teaching there in Cocoa Beach, Florida, living four blocks from the ocean, <laughs> starting a really great life with my young wife. And, um, you know, it was a, a situation where let me look into this before I get 40 years old and say, I wish I would have served. So that's what drove the, and then, so I did, I looked at all the branches again, kind of went through the recruiting process and looked at all my different options and then ultimately pulled the trigger you know, and said, let's do it. And wasn't even committed to 20 years at that point. Um, wasn't sure, but you know, Hey, let's do it. We do our part. Maybe we like it. Maybe we don't. So did you have a, a main MOS or did you change a few times over the 20 years? I'm assuming. Uh, same one the entire time. So, wow. Yeah. So army aviation, a uh, black Hawk helicopter crew chief and mechanic. Okay. So, you know, as I got promoted, I, took on more leadership roles and less, you know, wrench turning and mechanic roles, but mm -hmm. it was still with the Blackhawk or with um, other aviation assets. But yeah, so I stayed Army Aviation and really with the Blackhawk all 20 years. That's amazing. <laughs> it it, well, it is because I don't hear that very often that you're, you know, in the same, the same realm of it, you know, right. for 20 years. So that, yeah, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, and I, still, you know, I just still want to keep on saying congratulations on 20 years. I'm actually pretty darned excited for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Just a, you know, a little plug for those, uh, those people that may be thinking about joining or, or whatever. I mean, listen, I, I'm a pros and cons guy. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and it's, you know, I will tell you about some cons and how, you know, things you got to look out for, but if you're going to serve, I'm telling you, Army Aviation, and especially I was talking to a good friend of mine about this last night, the lift side, a Blackhawk crew chief or a Schnook crew chief is such a different world. It's a lot of exciting stuff. You do, you work hard, but, but you fly with the aircraft and you get to do some pretty cool, exciting things. So anyway, just plug for Army Aviation. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Plug away. Yeah. <laughs> so you were deployed four times. Yep. Um, you know, 2003 to four, I was in the initial invasion of Iraq and I was a mechanic then. So I was ground maintenance and performing, uh, different operations as far as going and recovering downed aircraft. So some of them were shot down and, um, crews, uh, died and we'd have to go and, and collect the aircraft and all the parts and pieces. That year was a lot, uh, challenging stuff based on, you know, living, uh, conditions. I lived in a tent for the entire year. Mm -hmm. Um, we had built our own shower literally behind our tent area for a whole year. You know, communication back home was really tough. Uh, the first six months was letters and packages, a phone call here and there for 10 minutes. You know, my son was six months old when I left. Um, you know, definitely just pretty tough circumstances. Next one was late 05, um, to 06 in Iraq again. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, in Taji, so I was right outside of Baghdad. And essentially I was a crew chief then, so I'm flying with the Blackhawk all over Baghdad during the surge um, in 06. And did a lot of, you know, pretty incredible missions, um, but was really, really busy. And then um, the Sinai Peninsula kind of came in between there, 2010 to 2011, I spent a year um, over there. Um, we have some Blackhawks that are painted like Nemo they're orange and white. <laughs> so 
Yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, mission over there. And then um, after that, I went to Afghanistan twice, uh, 13, 14, and then um, 16, 17. So you've been, uh, well, pretty much every place you've been has been a little hot. Yes, yes. A little hot, yeah. And I like, <laughs> like how you said, and we were pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Those few words encompass a whole lot. We were pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, yes. Let's see, your first time deployed in 2003-2004, mm -hmm. that initial thing into Iraq. I want to I wanna pop in here. Um, when all of that happened, the veteran post that I happened to be involved in, because I'm a veteran myself, mm -hmm. the veteran post I happened to be involved in, we started sending care packages every single month mm -hmm. uh, to those who were deployed and have, and we continue to do so to this day, every single mm -hmm. month. And of course they were all to Iraq at, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the main thing that was asked for that was requested, and this wasn't just 10 or 20 boxes, we're sending <laughs> thousands of boxes and it was all right. done by donations. We live in this rural community. That's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But, the things that were requested those first six to 12 months were toilet paper, eye drops and lip balm. And those things were the three hottest things. And I tell you, we wiped every place in a tri-state area. It seemed like out of those trying to get as much as we could over to you. We were sending cases of toilet paper and stuff. So was that, is that something that you guys were short of, like where you were at? Because we were sending a yeah. lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the other thing is, well, baby wipes, I would say is. Baby is really, wipes, yes, too. Yep, that yeah, was I mean, that thing. was like, so we would much rather use the baby wipes versus the toilet paper. But um, so, yeah, we didn't have a whole lot of it. And you know, army toilet paper, it's, you know, it's compared to John Wayne, right? It's <laughs> tough and it doesn't take shit off anyone. I mean, <laughs> you know, so listen, if, so if, if there's somebody that's asking us, Hey, what do you want and need? Well, and if you can send me that two ply, yes, we want that. So absolutely. The lip balm and the, the eye drops were just, I mean, you can't, the the wind and the heat just i mean your lips crack and it's just again you're over there for so long you know you don't get a respite from it it just right. it's hard to get away so yeah and the we, other we thing that those. we were asked a lot for at the beginning and i just um flea collars and rat traps mm -hmm. because of the sand fleas and right rats. yep yeah so sand fleas definitely we had one guy in our unit get leishmaniasis and he had to head back to oh my um, yeah he had to head back to walter reed and he did the uh it's 30 days of um iv treatment wow um, right to get you know healthy again and then he ended up coming back and joining us but that's from the sand fleas wow yep see that you know and that's stuff that people have no idea about right it's not that you're over there in harm's way to begin with but it's also very harsh living conditions mm -hmm. and yep. no one thinks about sand fleas and no one thinks about rats and that you don't have any rat traps or that you need toilet paper right you know <laughs> i mean we do i did my veteran posted of course but right. in general people wouldn't 
think of that unless they know someone or one of their loved ones is, is currently deployed. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was amazing that the stuff that was asked for and we we always and continue some 20 years later to um, whatever that we get asked for, we do our darndest to get over there. Yeah. And even if it's not something we're probably supposed to shit. <laughs> We kind of right. try and sneak it the best way we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate it. I've definitely seen some things. I'm like, oh, I don't think I don't think this was supposed to be in this <laughs> box, but I'm appreciative of it, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> we had chaplains writing to us, saying, "Hey, yeah. you know, I could really use this for my guys, or I've got this group of Marines that I'm I'm with, and we could really use this. We could use that, and that was a lot of uh, we." those first several years, those first, I'd say five or six years, we, we had a lot from all branches, um, mm -hmm. chaplains contacting us and yeah. numerous, numerous groups, um, units we became very close to, we were able to keep in contact with very close. That's good. And it was, yeah, we may, you know, it, we'll never meet them. Um, right. and several were lost. Mm -hmm. And that crushed us, yeah. you know, and yeah. we were, uh, it's, it's just been an amazing journey. One day I want to write a book about that, you know, yeah. from this side of the pond, um, supporting those who are serving, especially during wartime, because it's, it's the same story from two different perspectives. I think it's a great story. I think you that's know, a great angle and perspective. And oh my goodness! And it was it was it was it was wonderful because they could be open and bluntly honest with us, and know mm -hmm. that there was no judgment yeah. on whatever it is that you were doing or had to do. Yeah. And they could talk to us, whereas it was very difficult for them to talk to their family members. And yeah. a lot of them. This is what was amazing to me. They would rotate home, not be from Pennsylvania. They would make it a point to come to Pennsylvania to thank us in person. That, to me, was so above and beyond what they needed to do. And we never expected thank you, nor do we today expect thank yous. But when they would come home after, you know, a really, really difficult deployment, Mm -hmm. And then they would make a stopover in Pennsylvania <laughs> to say thank you in person. That's just amazing, you know, yeah. and the stuff that so many, cause I'm, I'm, I'm peacetime. I'm not, I'm not, have not boots on ground in a combat zone. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have such respect and empathy for all of those who have been such as yourself, especially when you live with the after effects of that and it's, you know, I don't sit there and pity anybody or anything like that. I just sit there and say, wow. Okay. So, wow. You, you, you live with PTSD. I do too. That really sucks sometimes. Doesn't it? You know, yeah. you know, just flat out say it and be comfortable, be, be comfortable being able to say that to someone else who's kind of been there, done that, you mm -hmm. know? And so that's why, you know, my role, as a supporter on this side of the pond, um, been doing that for 20 years and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It does put a weight on your shoulders here too. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, it's, 
you're letting someone vent and get it off. They got to blurt that out. <laughs> and something, you know, very graphic, very raw, very honest. And I listen and listen and listen. And then I don't sleep for four nights. <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know what, though? I was there for that reason, for that minute. Because they needed to get that off so they could continue on the next day and do what they needed to do. Yeah. You know? And so if that's what that's what I was there for in those moments over the last 20 years, I'd do it all again, you know, to yeah. to listen. Because it's like, gosh, I'm like, ah, oh, they're my daughter's age. You know, my daughter's 31. And yeah. I'm thinking, wow, they're my daughter's age. So you, four, four years, or four years, four tours, four deployments in I'm just going to be on shit split shit spots. <laughs> right. You know, there's just shit. Yeah. Um, and you currently live with PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, you had in your, in your bio, you mentioned that you've overcome your deepest and darkest moments. So I'm just going to flat out ask, how did you overcome or get <laughs> through those deepest and darkest moments? Because I know it's damn hard. Yeah. Um, great question. You know, so part of that is, is some optimism on my part, um, assuming and hoping that that really the deepest and darkest moments are in my past. The, the deepest and darkest came in uh, the fall of 2014. And I didn't even begin to address that or overcome the attempt to even overcome them until 2018 heading into 19 really at the time when i i had had enough i broke down mentally emotionally everything my wife i had i had suicidal thoughts at the time i, I couldn't take it anymore i was a, a, a definitely a high flyer um meaning uh, i mean i was I don't want to say superstar, but I mean, I was, you know, a top one percenter, go getter. I was the dependable. I, I could do anything. I could handle anything. Um, and then, and it just kept piling up over the years and years and years and years. And then the stress level, and then my grief overtook all of it. And then the, the guilt and the shame. And then I messed up a couple of times. And then now it's, I'm a burden on everybody. I don't want to go get help because if I go get help, I'm a burden. Now y'all got to take care of me. I'm worthless. So the best thing I can do is um, take my own life and then I'll be out of here and y'all can move on. I got some temporary help at the time. And, you know, at that point we still didn't, no doctor wanted to talk about PTSD with me. Um, they are really good at just trying to get you stable enough to get you back into the fight, not worrying about any long-term care therapy, anything. So they got me stable enough. I compartmentalized it again mm. and moved on and then um, had another uh, pretty low moment in 2018, um, went and got, got help here and um, here in North Carolina. And at that point right there, it started the, all the steps to where I am now, um, which was cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through pro prolonged exposure therapy, which was awful. And, but I'm saying, I feel like it helped. I mean, but it was still hell going through it, but I had made the conscious decision 
because I finally got with like a therapist that I trusted, I felt comfortable with, and I felt that she had really my best interest in mind and not the armies for once. So I opened up and allowed myself to do the things that she wanted me to do to get better through the cognitive behavior therapy. And then we really got down to my core values and thought about who I was and, you know, went through those things to combat the negative thoughts of who I thought I was because of these traumatic events. Right. And it just took a long, I mean, over a year to just work through those things. Um, and then through alcohol in there, I, then we had to start addressing that. And so it becomes complicated, but they never quit on me and I didn't quit on them. And so we just kept working, working, working. And they actually recommended me to a inpatient uh, therapy program up at Belvoir, but then COVID hit last year. And so I couldn't go, but I, I got enough treatment here. Um, and then to where I'm, you know, to where I am now, I'm prepared mm -hmm. to get out. I feel so much better. I feel so much more in control of those traumatic events versus them controlling me. Now, listen, I mean, you're, you know, this, like, do I still have nightmares? Yes. You know, do I still get scared in certain events and places? And yes, that, that happens. Do I get overly, overly sensitive and upset at things that probably shouldn't to the normal person. Yes, I do. Um, but I recognize them better. I allow that to happen, but not control me. Right. There, right there. And you said you allow it to happen. That's what, uh, I've been in therapy, you know, and I, I was blessed enough to find a wonderful counselor, um, for my PTSD. Mm-hmm. And when I began, there was literally nothing in place for female veterans. Nothing. Right. No therapist, no counselor, no programs. And it was all male. Yeah. Um, for years, I would call, say, got anything going for females yet? Because I felt that I was just tossed out in the boat and be like, take care of yourself, figure it out on your own. And for 12 years I did that. Yeah. And I, I became a very, I, I became a professional wall builder, <laughs> you know, damn, I had real, I have, I am able to build really super strong walls and absolutely nothing gets out. Oh yeah. And the thing with that though, is nothing can get in either. Right. And you become this cold person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I could feel that in, and I, I wasn't born that way. I wasn't made to be a cold person and I could feel that. And it was very distressing to me to feel just how cold I could be, you know, and not care. <laughs> just yeah. didn't care. Um, Thankfully, I, I didn't ever try to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol or anything that I just, it was never a thought to me. Mm -hmm. I was very good at putting everything, like you said, compartmentalizing it. I got that door 
you know, shut the door, lock it, toss the key. Yeah. But those walls and those doors will come crashing open when you least expect it. Yep. And they, that will happen. Mm-hmm. You've had it happen to you twice. I've had it happen to me a couple of times as well. Yeah. Um, but that cognitive, cognitive, the, the CBT therapy, mm-hmm. that to me, when I was finally able to find a counselor, when they finally started implementing things for female veterans, mm-hmm. that was one. And it was, it was a, quite a journey because they're trying to find what, what's going to work. Right. It was new territory. Yep. And I felt like a guinea pig. And I think I was. But if I wasn't, somebody had to be. Right. So they could get their shit together <laughs> and help people out in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I went through that CBT too and not fun. And the uh, prolonged exposure, I did not go through that. There was another one, another program that we did, and I can't remember it right now, where you write out and then verbalize every single detail of a specific incident from beginning to end. Yeah. And I refused to do that for years. I said, nope, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) And then one day I did. But it literally took three, three, four years. And I I became very good at being able to pull myself out of my memory and look down upon it. Mm -hmm. So I could look down like I'm watching it. Right. And say, oh, she... Oh, and there she, oh, and this happened to her. And oh, she's, she's doing this now. So I was able to do it in third person for whatever reason. That's how my brain did it and continues to do it. And that's what helped me. And I was able to get through it. And once I'm able to, I was able to see it from out here, mm-hmm. not in there, it made a huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. And I like, you know, I like how you, you were very honest. You said, do you still have nightmares? Yeah. You know, um, certain circumstances and, and areas that you might be in, do they still bother you? Yeah. Um, and like, I, for me, I don't know if it's the same for you. Let me know if it is. It doesn't lessen what happened. It just lessens, as, as you learn to deal with it and cope with all these things, it lessens the impact it has on you. Um, so I might have a nightmare now, but I don't have them every night. Um, I might not even have them every month now, whereas before it was every day. And it's like, you're, you're just tired all the time because you're not sleeping. Right. And then when you're awake, you're tired, you're grumpy, you're angry at the world. You, you hate the world. For me, it was always like my jaws always hurt because I was always clenching my teeth Mm -hmm. and clenching my hands and very tense. And you don't realize that, that you're living like that day after day after day until it starts to, you're able to start processing that and letting some of it go, then you're going, oh, wow, <laughs> my my neck and shoulders doesn't feel so stiff. What happened? Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're, it's like you're awakening. You're awakening from something. Yeah, it is. And so to answer your question, yes, I mean I'm, you know, very similar to that. That's that's basically exactly kind of how I am now. And, you know, so that prolonged exposure therapy that I went through mm-hmm. was 
what you're what you just described as your scenario but i had to do it verbally i don't know i didn't write it all down but i had to sit there and tell this story for over and over and over again for 90 minutes twice a week for six weeks okay then i did go through the same thing i just made right. i blocked out what it was called because yeah, yeah. i hated it yeah it was it was awful. awful and you know even the last time i was in there i know it's the last time and i still cried like and i'm like thinking well, are i supposed to be better which i was i mean but it's just sure. like but you're also human yeah absolutely i'm human uh, i have my, feelings and my thing was i would start hyperventilating yeah you know and until i was able to do that whole mental thing where i could pull myself out of it and look down on it right um that was how she said how uh how she had mentioned it to me was she said all right you're in a movie theater and this is literally the only thing over all the years that has helped me you're in a movie theater the movie is you your your scenario but you're also sitting in a seat watching it and you're also in the projection booth the goal was to get you off of the screen into the seat mm. from the seat into the projection booth because in the projection booth you have control yep and that was when it was explained to me that way something in me just went click and I was able to do that and work through it and get through that whole dang story <laughs> over and like you said, yeah. over and over and over again. And sometimes I'd get halfway through it and say, nope, not doing it anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. And you know, and the, the mind is an amazing thing. And how strong. I, I, you know, I say to people, you know, you're in a storm and you might be in that damn storm for years and years, but within that storm, because you had mentioned how you felt guilt and shame and you felt worthless. Mm -hmm. And I can completely understand that and resonate with that. I can yeah. empathize with that. But within all of that darkness, there's tremendous strength, tremendous strength. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting where you're at right now. Right. And I think oftentimes we forget because you you get in that bubble. You can't see past that. Mm -hmm. On some days, you can't see past it. But there's tremendous strength in the struggle. Yeah. You can come out the other side like you and stand there and say, you know what? Hey, I got 20 years in now. I am retired in 21 days. I've been here, here, and here. I've done this, this, and this. I've seen that, that, and that. And here I stand. Yeah, Boom. absolutely. You know, and that just, I, ugh, just makes me want to <laughs> give a big old yell. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> makes me want to give a big old yell. So I have your four tours, you're getting, what are you going to do when you retire? What are your plans? So, you know, my plans, I really, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have an opportunity and we're calling it my gap year. Um, <laughs> Your so, gap year. Okay. So financially, I do not need to go and get a job right away. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, you are so blessed then. Absolutely. And we're going to take advantage of it. Um, you know, we're going to spend some time uh, with each other, uh, you know, and our son and, and help him get off to college this summer. Um, but I am, 
through a couple different ventures, um, one of being the podcast arena too, um, but I'm also going to um, look at, I don't want to call it giving speeches because it's, I, I don't, I feel like that's a weird term, but I haven't come up with another thought of it yet. But anyway, public speaker. Yes, public speaker. So I want to share my story um, in the veteran community and the youth community um, of resilience, of, you know, mental toughness mindset. Yep. So that's, that's what I want to do because you, like you just pointed out, I'm, there was tremendous strength in getting me to this point and I'm still here. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a story to tell to help other people. You can do it. And it, like you said, it might be years, it might be whatever, but you can do it. We can help you. And so that's, that's kind of my goal. Um, and my plans moving forward is to work my way into these communities and, and find myself, push my way into front of people that need some help and assistance and, and, and let, let me share my story and, and hopefully we can help them um, get through their, their challenges. I just want to jump up and down on that because I think it's an awesome, awesome thing. I mean, there are other people who do that from, from different experiences and, you know, and, for veterans, I don't think there's enough of them. Mm -hmm. Now, some there, there's quite a few, if you think about it, because the veteran community is kind of small. Um, some of them are good. Some of them are great. Some of them are not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like we had spoken earlier, um, authenticity, leading, leading, being authentic and leading with your heart and just being true. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. that's, what's going to come. That's, what's going to, that's, what's going to shine. And, and you mm -hmm. could not only for veterans, but for family members mm -hmm. of veterans, that's um, one thing with what I do through my veteran post for the last 20 years. Um, well, it's not a, not only that you want to, it's almost that you need to, you need to be that light. There's just something burning in you. You got it. You got to, you got to provide that light to those that mm -hmm. are sitting in the darkness because you've been there, done that. Yeah. You know what it feels like. Absolutely. You know, and if you can provide that, not, well, I know you will. I know you will. You're going to do it and you're going to do it well. Thank That's, you. <laughs> so there you have it. I've told you. All right. There we go. Kim <laughs> has told yeah, me. Kim has, Kim has spoken. Done. Done. All right. <laughs> No, I think you will do awesome with that. Absolutely awesome. And if there's any way I can help you to spread the word when you get rolling on that part of your journey, please okay. let me know because Thank I have you. numerous directions that I could guide you towards. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being with me today. And as we wrap this up today, I want to ask you to leave our listeners directed towards the civilians because I bet you there's not a whole lot of veterans that might be listening. So direct it towards them. What is one thing that you would like to give to the listeners that they can walk away with today and think about and chew on about that? And I'm putting up my fingers right now, the quotes, the supposed stigma of PTSD. Everyone that has been clinically diagnosed with PTSD or has not been but exhibits the symptoms, signs, are human beings. We are human beings that need the same compassion, the same empathy, 
that someone with a physical injury that you can see given towards us as you do with them that that's that's what i want them to take away it we're human beings and we're we're not these crazed uh psycho killers ptsd i'm not tearing up the store and i'm not no there's please you know and don't be afraid to ask us about it if you're in that type of close enough relationship um like we were saying authenticity authenticity honesty like i'm you know it, it's better for me to talk about it now but show us that compassion don't be afraid of us mm-hmm. don't isolate us and don't go oh he's got ptsd watch yeah. out please yeah. that, that that's what i want yeah, that's what i want don't cringe and turn away because it's something you're not educated on and you don't know anything about right yeah those invisible scars absolutely so yeah i like i like how you said that that you know we're human and we've been through a lot of stuff <laughs> in many different circumstances and just because there's you know there are there 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 are injuries you just can't see them right you know so yep oh, wow what a conversation it is it was great it was i loved it loved it and i would absolutely love to have you on again if you would like to do that absolutely yeah that would be great yes for sure and i know we had mentioned earlier you know i can't remember if it was on mic or off mic but talking about um potential book that you might be writing so Mm -hmm. i'm 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 throwing that out right now on mic so it's out there in the universe (laughs) okay (laughs) Jason's not only going to become a phenomenal public speaker, but a number one best-selling author. How's that? That <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> I threw it out in the universe, so there it is. There we go. It, that's how we. <laughs> that's how we hold each other accountable in a lot of ways, right? We exactly. It, we put it in writing. Hold, you know, put it out in public. Oh man, I got to do that. Yep. So, that's I go. always. I always tell myself, and I joke around with people. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? I just said it out loud, so I'm claiming it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to own it. One of my sayings is, you know, be you and own your journey. So that's it. So you got to own it. You got to take responsibility for it. And now I've got to own that journey. (laughs) And you're going to love that. Own that journey. You're going to help me get there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Hey, we'll help each other. That's for sure. You know what number one bestseller means to me? It means that we have probably helped thousands of people that's what that means that's that is what that would mean to me yes that's exactly what it means to me yes i no, and i agree i'm of the same mindset um i i'm working on a three book faith-based series i i mm-hmm. have a very strong faith and wasn't always that way but i do now and um i'm always saying you know it doesn't matter where at on the charts or what people look at in the numbers and the analytics and all that that book and those stories land in the right person's hands and they're reading that and it gives them that spark enough to still want to stick around then all of the angst that i had putting my story down is completely worth it completely 100 percent worth it yeah absolutely absolutely Thank you so much, Jason, for being with me today. This was awesome. Completely awesome. And definitely, definitely keep in touch. Will do. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.